they see how it's useful, then that speaks way more to the regular user than just telling them you could potentially do this or you could potentially do that. Like take the potentially away and make a real use case and that speaks volumes. It's how to talk to AI with your hosts, go to go and west the synth mind. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, dogs, cats, robots, and everybody in between, especially you, Wes, the synth mind. This is HTTTA, how to talk to AI, and I'm your host, Gotta Go. Unfortunately, I have good and bad news for you. The bad news is Wes is sick, and as much as I wish I could live up to his introduction game, that's not possible. But the good news is I want you to meet Shud, our teammate at learnprompting.org. Shud has been diving into practical applications of AI with no or very little knowledge of programming. He also writes a newsletter called Use AI. And in this episode, he shared with me fascinating real-life use cases. We talk about ChatGPT plugins and the impact of open source community. Enjoy. I would like to kind of kick off with how did you got into prompting and why? And if you could share a bit of your discovery process and journey. I think I got into ChatGPT right around the time it came out. And then I instantly realized it had a lot of potential, was impressive. And um, when I started diving into it a bit more, I realized that the way you would phrase things, the way you would talk to it would have a big impact on what you get out of it. And right after it came out, there was a newsletter that I read and in it, someone mentioned learn prompting. Do you remember the newsletter? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's trends.vc is the newsletter. It's a, a newsletter with like only sentence long <laughs> description of all kinds of topics. It's basically a list of interesting things that are going on. And one of those was learn prompting. And um, in one of the most recent editions, I noticed that the hacker prompt was mentioned as well. Awesome. So that was fun to see. But that was right around the time, I mean, weeks after ChatGPT came out that I learned about learn prompting and to see that there was some kind of method to it, that there were techniques to be used, that there was particular ways to go about it to get a better result or to get a result that is exactly what you want it to be. That was really fascinating to me, a really practical way to get to prompting, to get better at it. Right. I think Sander shared that he was quick. I think he launched learn prompting in like December 1st. So that's very right after ChatGPT came out. So the timing was perfect. Yep. I'm pretty sure I joined the Discord around December as well. Mm -hmm. So maybe alpha in December, which is impressive. I mean, I know GPT-3 has been around for a bit longer, but it didn't take the world by storm straight away. It was a bit too flawed. And I think that the chat component, how well it works, really made a difference. Do you remember how many people were on Discord when you joined? I think maybe a hundred. Oh my God. So I think you joined before me because I have this number in my head when I joined that it was around 300 and it was also somewhere December. And can you imagine now it is more than 36,000? 
it's nuts. Yeah, yeah. So you joined Learn Prompting. You started kind of learning different techniques. How did you get involved with contributing and being part of a team? Did you had like chat with Sanders? What was your experience? Yeah, so I think he was asking for people if they were interested in contributing, if I recall correctly. And then I can't remember the exact process, but I think there was some room for improvement. And I contacted him. I told him, like, oh, I could talk about this. I've done this so far. I've done one or two things that I think could be useful, would be practical. I think around the same time I read about Dan Shipper. I think mm -hmm. he's like a tech blogger. And he was in touch with some other CEO who was building tools for himself using GPT-3. And it fascinated me and I wondered if I could do the same. And it turns out with some help of no code and without any programming knowledge, I was able to. And that made me think like, oh, I could contribute to this course by sharing the methods I use. Do you remember kind of your first experiment that you ran? Yeah, 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 I do. I also wrote about it, but I do remember the first experiment, I think, was seeing if I could categorize my emails using GPT-3. And this was before the 3.5 API came out. So this was the earlier version that didn't work as well. And again, I couldn't do any programming. Like, I can't write a single line. Oh, wait, I could write Hello World. That's like something I could <laughs> do in Python, but that's about it. But at least I have some more knowledge now. But back then, I didn't know anything. And with the help of ChatGPT, I was able to write a bit of Python that categorized my emails for me. Um, Amazing. Yeah, it was that was like a mind blown moment because that was absolutely inaccessible for me. I couldn't imagine being able to do that, like with both the coding part and somehow a, a language model being able to decide for you where an email should go based on its contents. And that's a big pain point for so many people. I remember I sent you a video from Tom Scott talking about AI and the pain point he shared exactly was categorization and labeling of emails and when we just started talking about your experiments doing that i still have to play with that and integrate because that's so useful do you use it now all the time no not really because there were some bigger issues i ran into when you want to use it with gmail you have to do authentication and all kinds of stuff to allow it to change emails right now i do have a working version but it's not running 24 7 and that's mostly due to me not having a computer running all the mm. time but i do have to admit that once you realize like oh this could work then old techniques I mean, old techniques, <laughs> not necessarily old, but like, for example, Gmail, how they recognize spam. They have their own method and they have their own algorithms and data. And although that doesn't really use the most modern language models, it does do a really good job of filtering out a lot of the nonsense. Which means that if you just would use a language model, then it might get quite a bit wrong. I think those in conjunction together would be best. And you have a quite extensive experience with Zapier. And yes. you, you put things together using this. So do you want to talk a little bit about tips, tricks, anything you want to share or your experiences using Zapier specifically? Yeah, so Zapier is quite an incredible tool with how easy it is to use. And you can put together a simple prototype for something in a matter of minutes, which would take much, much, much longer if you were to go into the programming route 
Like it's accessible for just about anyone. One of the first things that I built that I use, I think I have been using since December until like today, is a simple tool that reads an email. So every day I get an email from the operation, how it went. And in that email, there's some information in there that someone who took care of that day, they shared in there. So with certain times that people were starting or some notes and they just type it up. They just share whatever they experienced that day, anything that was out of the order or out of the ordinary. So this goes back to your day-to-day work. You have real life with real job, real responsibilities yes. to kind of integrate these tools in your day-to-day work and operations. Yes, okay. absolutely. Yeah, I do use this in my day-to-day. And that's why I, I think this is a great example of something that really helped me out. So every day I get this email with a certain format, with some information in there. And then with Zapier, I've got it connected to my Outlook and it filters out for that particular email. Then it sends out that email to GPT-3, to the API. And I've got a prompt written that takes out specific information and then it outputs that into a CSV format and that gets sent to Google Sheets. And that's, I think it took me maybe a few hours to get it set up and ran properly, which is incredible. Like if you were to program that, you would have to deal with authentication. You would have to deal with like a computer running 24 seven, Python versions not being compatible with each other, that sort of stuff, which makes it a lot more difficult. But with Zapier, you can just click a few times tell it what information you want to send. And then in the CSV that gets turned out and then stored in Google Sheets, I then have a clear overview that gets added on, like it's built every single day. And now I don't have to search back in my emails anymore. I don't have to search for that day to figure out what happened or when certain people ended their shifts or if anomalies happened. One thing, if listeners' minds are not getting on fire, because mine is, and I'm immediately thinking about my email box. So what you are saying, if I understand correctly, that integrating all these things, I open Google Sheet and it says, oh, this is an offer from the company, yes. breaking down specific information from that offer. And I immediately have a list with offers because right now my process is I go through my emails, everything is a mess and stacks up. And then I copy each company's name, email. I put together the whole, you are laughing. I see you are like, yeah, you don't need to do it anymore. Oh my God. Okay. So I want to touch on a very cool experience we had, at least from my side. When you published newsletter about implementing GPT 3.5 into Google Sheets. Yes. So that was kind of the first glimpse. And I remember we had this whole session jamming and me trying to do it. <laughs> it feels like ages ago, but right, probably it like was like a month or a month and a half. And I remember having this experience that I was so excited. We did it when we talked, but I, I will make a video, which is now, by the way, published. Mm-hmm. So anybody can go and implement that or read your newsletter, which I highly recommend. But the thing, the discussion we had that there was, I think at that time, just a small press release about Google introducing and putting all these AI models and co-pilots and whatsoever into their products. And I remember we were saying that, okay, this is now useful what we did, but Google in Google Sheets will have its own AI. So how long will that be relevant? And funny enough, like at that time when we talked, I was like, I'm making video now. 
And then I was hesitant because I was like, okay, if I publish a video and that's completely not relevant just because there is a next announcement. Right. But the reality was that time passed, there was nothing. And I published a video and now I think that even with Google coming out with whatever they have, this knowledge of you know, discovery of how do you use OpenAI's API, how do you implement, how do you use ChatGPT to help you with coding with all the experience, I think was very valuable. And it's one of the use cases. But the question I want to ask you now with this email classification, and that goes directly into Google Sheets, this specific use case, do you see that natively happening with Google implementing all the AI technology in their products? Or would you still see the use of Zapier? I think my guess is that they will make a whole lot of things quite a bit smarter. But in these cases, it might be more specific, like very specific use cases. I don't think they will fully allow you to do those. Maybe with, I think that with vector databases integrated, then you might see less need for it. If they're quite smart, then you could just ask a bot or ask in the search box for exactly the content you're looking for so that you don't even really need the classifications anymore. I've seen it with different software, like I use mem.ai for note-taking, and they recently integrated a bot, a chatbot. And before that, they had the everything you take notes of stored in a vector database. And then if you start writing about a certain topic, then notes you have taken before about similar topics start to pop up automatically. So you don't have to search for them anymore. And I think something similar is likely to happen with Google software that once you start working on something that everything related to it might just start popping up somewhere out of nowhere without <laughs> even searching for it. Maybe and sometimes even when you don't want that. Yeah, that could be the case. But I think that in the case of Google, they share, they have so many different platforms to use with Google Drive and Gmail and YouTube and all kinds of different sources of information that they can work together or they can merge together in some way that once you start typing out something in your email or searching for something that you might get different results from somewhere that it picks up context from. Like you've watched videos about this, maybe this is what you're looking for in your emails. I mean, it could get with the data Google has, I think that could be quite incredible. But I think that vector databases and just being able to search and getting exactly what you're looking for in just natural language without having to do a lot of work with categorizing emails or setting up filters, I think that's probably where some of the future is going to be for a big company like Google. What is the most exciting use case that you played with? Oh, that's a good question. So many. <laughs> yeah, there's some really cool stuff out there. Not to spoil it, but I thought that you will jump and say Telegram integration that you showed me. Okay, yes, yes. It's super exciting. I see a lot of potential in there, but to give some context in Make, make.com, it's also a no-code or a low-code platform. You can build different tools as well. It's a bit different to Zapier in that it's a bit more complicated to use, but at the same time, it's a bit more flexible. 
And in Make, I built myself a Telegram bot where I can communicate with GPT 3.5, basically with the regular chat GPT. And I can also use it with voice, with Whisper. So OpenAI, they made their transcription software called Whisper, and it can transcribe audio and it does a really amazing job. So in Telegram, you can send text messages and you can send audio messages and I can talk to the Telegram bot that way. So you build this thing. Yes. And how do you use it in a practical sense? I actually use it quite frequently. Whenever I, I have an idea pop up in my head, I think like, oh, that might be a good idea. Or that should be something I need to consider. Then I just pick up the phone. I hit the record button or I hit the audio message and I just talk into it. And I just say what's on my mind and it gets sent to telegram to the bot and it responds sometimes i go back and forth sometimes i just leave it as is but it's an incredibly quick way to just take a note to just <laughs> be able to talk back and forth real quick in other times like sometimes i need to take care of stuff around the house or i've got something to prepare and i have a to-do list for example i'm thinking to myself oh, i need to take care of this i need to clean up that i need to go grocery shopping when i go grocery shopping i need this and that and i just talk into it it builds up a list for me and then i can just talk to it in a really normal way to just say, okay, I've taken care of this room. You can remove all the things that I've had listed for this room off of the list. And it'll say, okay, I've taken it off the list. Here's the rest of your to-do list. This is amazing. So for example, so you say what you need to do and then you're prompting that natural interaction through voice right now. Yes. And I've taken it a slight step further. I've added a chat history and it's a bit rudimentary, but it, it works. Like it can go back to the last 10 messages. So that way it keeps something in memory for to-do lists. It's absolutely perfect. And I store it. So every now and then I can just look back at things see what I said about a certain topic if I want to. But about the chat history, I've got the system message separately. So behind ChatGPT is a system message that you don't see where they instruct the bot to act a certain way. And I think the standard, most basic form of them all is pretty much, you are a helpful assistant. And that one's good. It prompts the, the chatbot to act a certain way. It'll be friendly. It'll be try to be helpful. And that's like a very basic version that works quite well. And you can change that. And I've made the bot in a way that it always takes the system message into account. It's always in the memory. And I can change that whenever I want to. And for example, I don't know, are you familiar with the Eisenhower principle for task management? It's no, nothing crazy. No, but I would love for you to explain this. It's quite simple. You basically, whenever you have a task, it can be either urgent or not urgent, and it can be important or not important. So it's like a quadrant. And if tasks are urgent and important, they need to be taken care of right now. And if they're not urgent and not important, then you can just leave them. And for example, that could be procrastinating, watching silly YouTube videos or watching YouTube shorts, no, for example. Not all YouTube videos are silly. Yeah, that's why I said <laughs> watching silly YouTube videos. <laughs> I know, I'm well aware. And then there's like the tasks that are important and not urgent. They might be important for a later time. And if you 
tell ChatGPT in the system message to that it is a task manager and that it needs to follow the Eisenhower principle, then it'll prioritize tasks for you and it does a pretty decent job. So when you share it, like when your to-do list is, it won't tell you exactly when you should do something, but it'll say like these tasks need to be taken care of right now and these tasks need to be taken care of later. And these aren't important and you can just ignore or delegate these tasks. And if you just type that in or I type it in my sheets in the user message or in the system message, I type it in there and then it'll uh, prioritize my tasks for me. And I don't need to give any extra instructions after that. So just to kind of explain to myself and to the listener. So you are talking about with the prompt hidden behind, like something what is behind Bing, what we know now that is called Sydney or behind Bard or any chatbot with whom you are interacting and at the large scale, for example, OpenAI ChatGPT also have a prompt behind it, meaning that there is limitations, there is things that it's not supposed to talk about. So this is you are doing at your personal scale and controlling with your interactions. Yes and no. Behind ChatGPT, there's also like Sydney, I think is more of an overarching message that goes even above the system message. And for anyone who is interested to try this out on the playground on OpenAI, when you select the chat model, you can try it out for yourself. There's a bar on the left side where you can type in the system message and they explain what it does. And it's not super strict, especially with 3.5. OpenAI themselves have pointed out that it doesn't really listen to it that well, but it does an okay job. So if you stay within the confines of what you told it to be, like if you tell it that it's a task management system and then you talk about tasks, then it'll do a pretty good job of following the rules you set for it. We know this technique, role prompting, right? Where you assign the persona to the chatbot in a way integrated inside your prompt. So now, how would you compare this role prompting versus system message? I think they overlap quite a lot. In the system message, you can definitely put a role in there and you're basically role prompting, but you can also go quite a bit more complicated and tell it that it shouldn't say certain things or that it should try to follow a certain format. But my experience so far is that 3.5 doesn't listen that well. It does bad, an okay job. Bad, it's bad chat. Bad chat, right? <laughs> <laughs> but you could put roles in the system, definitely, and it'll try to adhere to the roles somewhat to, to a certain extent. I would suggest people to try out the playgrounds to go there if they're interested. But I have noticed that the, the output is not much different if you just tell the chatbot in your first message to act a certain way. I think one benefit here is that I don't think it forgets. So with ChatGPT, once you run around or once the conversation becomes long enough, it'll forget the first messages because, well, the context is just too long. And I think the system message stays in there. If you want to visit Playground, you go to platform.openai.com. You will need to create an account and sign in. In the website, you can see documentation. This is where you can find your IP address and also some examples. But the the interesting thing with Playground is that you get to play with different models. You can choose from the available from OpenAI. And as you just shared, that you can also play with the system, but also get access to way more settings, 
which you don't have in ChatGPT. So I definitely encourage everybody to try to play the playground as well. Yeah, I would like to add on to that, that on the right, when you go to, I think it's platform.openai.com slash playground. No. Then on the right side of the page, you can select mode and in there you can select chat as well. And there you have uh, similar to chat GPT, an environment in which you can chat. And then on the left side of that page, you can type out the system message and explore it for yourself. For a majority of people, when they go to chat GPT and they don't have plus subscription, it's for free. Right. But in the playground, you pay per tokens used. So you pay per usage, which got 90% cheaper, but you still pay. So yeah. in that sense, why me as a user would go to playground if ChatGPT is for free? And this is just kind of like a weird loop on OpenAI, don't you think? Yeah, it is. I wish there was some way you could just access this. I think you need to provide payment information to have access to this, which I'm not a fan of. I wish you could just log in, maybe have some free access for a little while without having to give in any payment information. Experience because I think that's too. like people are quite taken back by having to fill in like a credit card information or whatever OpenAI supports. I'm not entirely up to date. Oh, now that we are talking about payment, I don't know, have you been keeping up with the latest developments with the open source? The answer is I really try to, but you know, I have this feeling that I go to sleep in Europe and I don't know to what I wake up. Please enlighten me because, you know, as much as I feel I know, there is the whole other side where I don't know. So please do share with the latest development. So in Google, a document was leaked about open source large language models and how their performance is going up and up and up. It's still not quite on the same level as 3.5 and definitely not on the same level as GPT-4. But I think it's quite promising, especially with what we talked about earlier with like privacy concerns, that you would be able to run a model on your own PC. And you need quite decent hardware for it, but it's older than the power usage. You don't have to fill in credit card information or you don't have to send your data to some American company. Right now, we don't have Wes and it is two Europeans talking. Right, right, right. So yeah, you're right. We haven't talked with Wes about this yet, but we included our takes in our newsletter in episode five, because we can't cover everything in no, this podcast. So in newsletter, we sometimes just go crazy with more latest things whenever it comes out. So the leaked document is called, we have no mode and neither does open AI. So yeah, it's very interesting. And in what you're saying that having ability to have it on your computer, but also the impact of open source community is right. incredible. Yes, definitely. It's going to be fascinating to see if they can keep up. And for some use cases, you don't need the model to be as impressive as GPT-4. And if you could get around like privacy concerns, if you could get stuff to run locally, I think there's quite a lot of potential there, especially in more of a professional setting. Like for a regular user, it might not be as interesting. They just want the model that responds super fast, that doesn't need like hours of setting up with installing all kinds of software and having to debug and 
having to run into issues and then trying to solve it. Although those might just be temporary issues that they will solve along the way. But right now I noticed that there's a bit of a battle competition going on, even in the open source world where models are coming out claiming to have incredible token limits that could process whole books. And then some others that claim to be at the same level as 3.5. And we'll have to see though. I think when stuff gets a bit further along, then we'll see incredible use cases but for now for the regular user it's first of all a bit too hard to get going to get to use and then second it's just not at the level it needs to be at to really be useful right so the interesting thing is so for example if you have business right now right and you are thinking to okay I have this one specific use case, whatever it is, classification, summarization, content production, maybe it's a chatbot integration on your website. So you have a route of going, let's say, mainstream and open AI using the best, the greatest. You pay money and your all your data and money goes to America. But on the other side, what you are saying is that you have this huge variety of open source models. And interesting thing, I just delivered yesterday a keynote and I shared that on Hugging Face, there are more than 200,000 large language models uploaded. It's That's incredible. This is like what was interesting to me and what you touched on that, okay, so... We know GPT-4, it's tested, the researchers are testing it on a variety of tests. We also know about prompting techniques that work with GPT-4 and, you know, the famous hundred-something paper released by OpenAI, which is, well, probably more like marketing material if you look from the research perspective. But regardless, you know, we test these things. So now if we have more than 200 thousand open source large language models who are claiming that all we are better or equal my feeling is that we just have no capability to keep up and actually test and compare the models against each other this is the paradox but i think in january we were talking on learn prompting this that there was four thousand research papers in the ai published if you want to read them all in the month, like you have to read research paper every 10 minutes, something like that. I could be completely wrong on the math, but regardless, that the acceleration of this thing is so fast. So how do you actually evaluate them? So that's one thing. But another thing, you're right, there is different options now in the market that businesses can use. And another layer of that, I would say, is the whole concern with privacy, regulation, quality, data protection, right? We are kind of like in the deep of this podcast, but let me ask you, like you are my fellow European, so we are biased. We would definitely need to talk with West that because I would like, you know, that different views from the different continents. But what is your take on European AI Act, Sam Altman, Senate hearing and regulations coming, which will hurt open source community more than anyone else. Yeah, that's quite unfortunate. I do think we really need some regulation and we need to get on top of it because I see some potential for this to get out of hand or be used in really nefarious ways. With open source models, I do have my concerns as well. Like right now, a lot of people are complaining that the open AI models are biased or that they might be too much left-leaning or that it's 
always like it, it's too safe right <laughs> now that it's a little too constricted, confined in its ability to just share things freely. There's always an extremely nuanced opinion and sometimes it gets a little over the top. But on the other hand, with what we see that other GPT, like the potential could be, if that's used in nefarious ways, then it could get really scary. I've been thinking about this a little bit before, and I'm on one hand really excited about open source models. And on the other hand, I think that if those don't have those confines, and if you could set up some auto GPT type, like an automated version that, for example, search for people's personal information and then uses that in nefarious ways, like that used to be extremely labor intensive. But if you could get a large language model to take care of it and have no constraints whatsoever in what it's able to write and send to people, think of Twitter. Like on Twitter, it's already a, a big mess with what kind of messages you can get. But imagine if you have a bot that searches for personal information and uses that to use against people and then message them on social media, for example. That's now incredibly easy to do on a large scale, especially if you have a model that's not constrained at all. So I do think in those cases, you really would need some kind of regulation. And on the other hand, like limiting options and then only relying upon the big tech companies and having them decide what's good and what's not good for us is also a problem. So I'm really conflicted about what the best way to go about this would be. Uh, yeah, you're right. And on the other side, we have the fascinating part, as you shared with us, but with no coding experience, you are able to integrate GPT 3.5, right? You didn't do it with GTP 4. No, I don't okay. have uh, four so, access. No. It's coming, it's coming. So yeah. you are able to figure out the way to integrate GTP 3.5 model into Telegram, develop your own yes. tool, your own processes to help you. So now this is where the sky is the limit of anybody now having this abilities to take it completely different route and not have just a, you know, chatbot you talk to to help you with task management, but that very quickly can get out of hand because the barrier to entry is just so low. So all this useful applications and experiments that you ran. Let me ask you, do you have access to plugins on ChatGPT? Yes, I do. And been... what is your experience so far? Yes, there's some great use cases. There's some limitations. Like the Wolfram plugin doesn't work as amazing as I had hoped, but maybe it'll get better over time. But one great use case is WebPilot. I think it's better than the regular browsing beta you can enable. But the web pilot allows you to search for content, search for web pages, or I should say it can search web pages for you and use its contents for whatever use case you have. So if you want to find out contact information for certain companies, then you just enable the web pilot plugin and you tell ChatGPT you want to find the contact information and it'll do it for you. You can even list like multiple websites. Or say you want to reach out to a company and you want to write an email, but you don't know where to start and it'll search it for you, search the content for you and rather than an email that you could use based on the contents on the website. So that's a few steps you don't have to do anymore because the web pilot can just search it for you, which is, I think, a great use case. Just a few extra steps that JetGPT can now do for you 
Right. And it's, I just shared with you, it felt just like Christmas opening all these plugins. And I'm like, mm. I want to open them all, test them all. But there is something that I've been thinking regarding this kind of phenomenon, what you shared with your experiments, with building it yourself, getting your hands dirty, learning along the way. And then some of the use cases become obsolete because suddenly there is, for example, plugin which can scrape the website and write you email. But right. I don't know if you would agree with me, but I would argue that this, the journey of learning, discovering and pushing your curiosity is so much more beneficial than just sitting doing nothing. And then suddenly you have plugin for that absolutely easy use. And of course, there is two different routes. One is like, just convenience, not everybody needs to become prompt engineering expert or AI expert. So this is for those people who are going to just use it, easy applications. But if you want to actually dive into these things, you don't need to sit around and just wait for, you know, Google to have AI integrated in Google Sheets. You can start implementing that yourself and then that takes you somewhere. Right. Absolutely. Even if it's just for the learning process. The Telegram bot that I set up was more for a, a case of asking myself if I could and not so much <laughs> if I should. And I've botched it together. It's like hanging together with duct tape, if you see what methods I used. But it learned me so much about how this works. It taught me a lot of stuff that I now use regularly. And if I want to put something together now, it takes me way less time to do it. And I already reap the benefits of being able to use it right now. Yeah. Um, and I think it's amazing to get your hands dirty just for the learning experience. And every now and then when something works and it runs and it does its job, then you can already reap the benefits way before anyone else does. Get right. it. And I think another benefit is that, for example, because you experimented and you know you run into different problems, now, when we talked with you about the consultants, jobs coming in and people asking for help, right now, even if someone uses plugins, you can say that, yeah, it's good for this, but in my experience and experiments, there is a, some things that you need to consider. So your own experience builds your kind of stack and foundation. And then anybody who comes from outside, you have way broader offering. What should people avoid or what should they use instead? Yeah, and I've noticed too that people aren't aware of certain possibilities. And if you get your hands dirty, if you know what's possible, if you know what's out there, then it's way easier to share with them what they might not even consider. Like it's way easier to show them possible ways to use this technology in ways they haven't even imagined. And if you've got your hands dirty, if you've built certain tools, then, and you can share that with people it suddenly becomes clear to them, like, hey, I could use it in this way. If they see how it can be used, if they see how it's useful, then that speaks way more to the regular user than just telling them, you could potentially do this or you could potentially do that. Like, take the potentially away and make a real use case. And that speaks volumes. This is it's amazing. Thank you for sharing all these use cases with me personally. Like, I can't wait to test it out. I'm just so curious to go to dive into that now. But I think with that amazing tip you just shared, I think we could have a closing. So I would very much encourage people to visit Stuart's Substack, which is use AI for easy and accessible application examples. 
Anything else where people can find you? Any last tips you want to share? You can always find me on Discord as well, on the Learn Prompting Discord channel. Awesome. I hang out there quite frequently. So if you have any questions, feel free. Awesome. Yeah. And with that, I thank you so much for stepping in. We hope Wes gets better. But we've been actually Definitely. talking with Wes for a long time to have you on the podcast. So this was just like meant to happen. And it was absolutely amazing to learn from you and talk to you and a jump on calls to collaborate with you. So thank you so much sure. for that. Yeah. Happy to, uh, to have been on the podcast. <laughs> Yay. And with that, everybody... Happy prompting. Happy prompting. <laughs> Thanks for listening to How to Talk to AI with your hosts, GoToGo and Wes the SynthMind. As always, you can check out the show notes and links at howtotalkto.ai. That's all for this week's episode. Happy prompting, everyone. <laughs>